Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm excited to be joined today by David B., Executive Vice Chancellor for Finance and Administration at Pima Community College. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we've definitely all learned a lot about flexibility so far in 2020. So if you could go back to maybe this time last year and teach yourself one thing that would better prepare you for what's going on right now, what would that one thing be? Typically, I don't tend to go back uh, and and sort of revise history. The circumstances of the past <laughs> tend to tend to sort of dictate how how you act. But I do have an answer, which is uh, I'd I'd actually honestly go back and take a quick primer on new math. Uh, at the time of the school school closures, my kids were in fifth and third grades, <laughs> and moving my son, the third grader, to online learning and being confronted. <laughs> with four-digit subtraction problem that required showing the solution in multiple ways, all with an impatient and increasingly disinterested child, uh, <laughs> with rudimentary software drawing tools, uh, all while ba- balancing ongoing work demands, was really one of the lowest moments I've experienced during this recent crisis. Um, and the reason for mentioning it is it, I think it really illustrates the challenges we're all facing and uh, this new reality. Uh, the difficulty of shifting quickly to remote learning, uh, varying levels of technological literacy, work-school dynamics at the home, uh, and then flailing to stay afloat in the churning waters, uh, so to speak, is what our students and employees are all experiencing. And from my standpoint, I take I take opportunities like that when I experience something personally and try and see that, that that's just uh, it illustrates what others are experiencing, and it's certainly we know that that's what students and our employees are experiencing, and that helps them be sensitive to those pressures and, and really work to find solutions that, that provide them relief. And so I'll try and take make lemonade out of the lemons that are uh, new math and uh, the, the frustration I had trying to teach my son how to do something I didn't know how to do. That's a great analogy. Thank you for sharing. Very funny. In the last couple of months alone, What's one noticeable way that you would say you've changed the way that you lead as a CBO? Right. Uh, I think this one's really, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's sort of an obvious answer, but um, I really value face-to-face meetings, uh, particularly with my direct reports. It, they provide me the opportunity to get quick updates on the things that they're working on, uh, to dive in on specific issues that I'm concerned or interested in, uh, and provide, and, and this might be the most important one, provide guidance on how to navigate around various uh, challenges and barriers, the institutional politics, things like that. Um, but it also provides a real opportunity to connect with my direct reports on a personal level. 
which I feel is critical to effective working relationships. It's, it's, it's hard to motivate someone to do something that might be challenging or a lot of work if you don't have that good personal rapport and trust. Um, and, you know, video meetings, conference calls, phone calls, email, chat, chat formats and text messaging, uh, all of these tools provide different avenues to connect with people but they don't provide the equivalent engagement. And, uh, you know, and I've seen, and I'm sure everybody else has experienced that they can be outright distracting and, and even harmful to productivity. Um, and I miss it. And I haven't found the solution. I was going to say, what, do you, what have you found that's different besides uh, sharing your new skills and new math? Um, one, one thing I will say is that I actually do not favor moving to video formats more. Um, mm-hmm. I, we had a really good article that, that one of my direct reports sent and, and I, it resonated with me. Um, and f- what the article was talking about is how stressful the video conferencing format is that people tend to be, uh, more concerned with what their appearance is, trying to figure out what the, uh, um, nonverbal communication that is happening with the people on the other end, you know, in little boxes, um, is really exhausting. And so I actually don't encourage uh, the video conferencing as the solution. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that picking up the phone and, and connecting and making sure that if I sense that that there's some distance or, or someone seems particularly stressed, I think just picking up the phone and having a good phone call is, is I think, more effective than me trying to look at you. And, sorry, that's a visual. <laughs> uh, me, me trying to See look See how my laundry is piling yes, up on and, me. And yeah. uh, go, that doesn't look quite right. Although your, your plants look very nice in the back. Thank you. Well, let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, COVID has been a, a major topic of discussion. And just in the last week, we've had uh, another major national co- conversation of discussion, um, which is diversity and inclusion. So I, I want to just kind of shift the conversation a little bit and talk about how you think that CBOs can best prepare or develop the next generation of higher education leadership, particularly when you are considering this growing desire to diversify the field. And I think we're hearing a lot about that right now. Yeah, absolutely critical. Um, there, there are two approaches that I consider to be pretty core to how I manage. Um, the first is that I consider teaching to be a primary element of my job. Uh, that includes educating the board, the executive team, the community uh, on college administrative and financial issues. Um, and a lot of that is understanding that that if the audience doesn't understand something that I'm talking about, then the organization isn't growing. And ultimately, I think that's what we're all about. We're supposed to be learning, uh, growing organizations, um, and we need to foster that to the extent possible. And we're all educators in that realm. Um, In a similar vein, I think explaining decisions to my direct reports is really important for their development. And so that they can see how I or others, if it's a decision that, that happened uh, at the executive level and they weren't party to, um, what the factors were that were involved in the decision, how those factors were weighted in the final outcome. Um, in finance and, and IT, the two, two of the areas that report to me, in particular, there's a tendency to consider problems as binary, that they're right or wrong, or uh, you know, it's all financial driven, so it's whatever the bigger dollar amount or the lower dollar amount, depending on 
on the issue um, is is sort of the simplistic way of looking at problems. Um, and while that's true for the easier issues, the types of problems that tend to elevate to executives are much more nuanced, murky, and influenced by other intangible factors. Um, so when I'm working with my direct reports, particularly those who, who tend to see the world in those more binary formats, is I want to explain to them why a decision happened. Um, if they came in with a recommendation that, hey, we should do X, and I said, well, thanks for that work that you put into it, but we're going to do Y, I'm going to turn around and explain to them what led to me saying that we're going to go do Y. Because what that will do uh, is have them help them understand what those variables are so that then when they're in that circumstance, they're factoring that in. And that when they're in the chair, that they're ready to handle those different uh, variables and nuances, um, which I think is really uh uh, one of the qualities of higher education is that you've got to understand there's a lot of gray area, a lot of nuance, um, and a lot of intangible variables that play into decision making. Um, the second one, the second core approach that comes from uh, my studying social psychology as an undergrad, um, I'm fundamentally aware of our natural and implicit biases. Um, and I work to minimize those negative effects of bias on a pretty routine basis. I mean, no one's perfect. And, and part of understanding uh, what some of the challenges are that we're contributing to is, is being self-aware. Um, and so one of the things that I try to do with these biases is help people understand and minimize that when we have processes, minimize the impacts of bias in those processes. So as an example... I don't value familiarity of our internal systems like, oh, we have used Banner before um, or PeopleSoft or whatever the particular software is that your your organization uses, um, which, which will fundamentally favor the incumbent workers. Um, and uh, what I am interested in is un identifying and understanding uh, or hiring people who understand how the system works not what the system was or what they were trained to use, but how systems work um, in general and that they have the transferable skills. And I'm also less interested in someone who has years of experience in a particular area. Oh, I've, I've done this for 30 years and therefore I'm really knowledgeable. Well, that's great, and except for you might have been doing it poorly for 30 years. Um, the uh, What I'm interested in is someone who's clearly got the expertise to do the job but that they have a high degree of inquisitiveness and creativity. Um, and my experience has been that has actually led me to have a pretty diverse and creative team and definitely has led to solving problems much more effectively than, than had been the case in the earlier, earlier eras of my being here. Let's talk now not only to listeners that are already CBOs, but to any listeners who are considering a CBO role as their next career move or f future career move. What would you say, Dave, are the top three skills or attributes that are most critical for CBOs in today's higher ed landscape? And probably some of these are coming to the fore right now as there's even more pressure than normal um, on your on your role in the industry. Yeah. Um, the first one is, is some combination of energy, endurance, and focus. Um, that, that these jobs are increasingly demanding. Uh, they're increasingly 24-7. 
um, and maintaining a certain level of energy and and managing your own energy levels is something that I think is critical to to being successful in the job. Uh, the second one is uh, being having a systematic and data driven approach to decision making um, and to two processes from that standpoint as well. Um, and the third one is belief in the power of education, um, that we are here to do a greater good and uh, that understanding where you are within the mission um, and how you're supporting the mission helps make it, uh, helps, in, helps that first one, the energy endurance, it helps you get through those more challenging times. I love those. Thank you for those very concise answers. Do you have any stories that you think stand out when you think about how you personally develop those skills over the course of your career? Yeah, I, I can go through each one of them. Um, the, in terms of the energy and endurance one, uh, one of my periods of greatest personal growth uh, came when I rediscovered running and discovered triathlon. I had a lot of energy, but was often distracted by fleeting interests or opportunities, whatever the interesting thing was at the moment. I jumped in and went uh, all in on that. Uh, but it led to more scattered energy than focused energy. Um, and getting passionate and, you know, you can hear maybe a little bit obsessive uh, <laughs> about training for endurance events really taught me how to channel that energy toward long-term goals, uh, develop plans for how I was going to get to what my goal was, uh, staying resilient when it got, when it gets hard, um, you know, st sticking to it in a long training day that might be really difficult. Um, and then ultimately getting to what your objective is and, and finishing the race. Um, those all helped me immensely. I was, when that happened, I was uh, ABD with my dissertation and was, you know, again, scattering my energy all over the place. Um, having gone through that and sort of learning that structure uh, made it so that I, I turned around and said, it's time to get this dissertation done. I, you know, basically endured a lot of unpleasant days, uh, but recognized that I had an important goal and, and finished that up. And, and I find that pattern of having long-term goals actually fits the more normal life cycle uh, than not and, and sort of gives you that ability to sort of plan things out, have regular intervals where you're uh, uh, able to sort of endure the more uh, frustrating days when something doesn't go quite right and then ultimately get to what your ultimate objective is. So that, that, that's the first one. Um, second one's a shorter story, uh, which is my dad was a process engineer. So I'd have to say that almost fundamentally, I was programmed from birth to strive for <laughs> efficient and outcomes-oriented processes. Um, and I think that he also taught me, and I'm not saying that this is the, 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 the way that everybody should be taught, but uh, question, 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 and improve until the truth is clear. And I would say uh, that, that one great, great thing that I picked up over time, and I think it's from that background, I don't, I don't remember a time in work where I was taught this, but, uh, you know, continuing to ask questions, and I know Toyota had the ask the question, ask six questions or seven questions, something like that, um, that keep asking the questions until you get the answer. Um, and that comes up pretty frequently, and, and I'm a pretty big subscriber of that. Um, and then the last one in terms of the power of education, uh, I started my career out of college on the business side of magazine publishing uh, and had some uh, relatively early success. I, I was, I was uh, building a career pretty quickly, um, enjoyed the work I was doing. 
But what, what I recognized at the time pretty early on is that all the higher level jobs had increasing amount of sales and politics involved. Um, which didn't necessarily fit well with being a pretty introverted person at the time. Uh, so I, I sort of had this moment of clarity where I realized if, if I was going to keep moving up in an organization, I'd have to start engaging in sales and the politics of executive leadership. And if I'm going to do that, I better believe in what I'm doing. Um, and I always, my mom was a teacher, um, and always, uh, believed in education as, uh, the greatest social good I think that, that we have, um, and, and, uh, realized that if there's one thing that I can sell is I can sell education, um, and I can be passionate about it and then looked into it and realized that higher education was administration was actually a career path, didn't realize that up until that point. Uh, I think I thought that people either fell into it or you came in through the faculty ranks. Um, and then I started researching uh, how to go back into graduate school and higher education administration. And that's how it all started. And uh, here I am today. And here you are today. Fantastic. Those were great examples. Thank you. Um, now everyone's favorite question of the show. Thinking back on your career, Dave, what would you say is your most fabulous failure and what did you learn from it? And I know most people don't like the word failure because, you know, a lot of these things are just learning lessons. But do you have any <laughs> anything you could share in terms of, you know, something you might have done a little differently? Yeah, I was, I was trying to think through some of these. And, and I know you don't have any failures. Yeah, today. no, I probably do. But uh, <laughs> I think I, I'll call them mistakes. How about that? There we go. Um, I think my clearest mistakes have been in bad and pretty much avoidable hiring decisions um, mm. on a couple of occasions. Uh, and, and these are actually characteristic of almost every time that I'd say that there was a hiring mistake. Um, I found that because I had an important position with a vacancy and we were really struggling with that hole and trying to fill that hole, that I talked myself into hiring people mm. uh, when there were indications that it may not be a great fit. Um, bad idea. <laughs> um, in, in one case, uh, I, we didn't do enough due diligence on a gap of employment and it was an avoidable disaster that took months to resolve. Um, mm. and you know, if you, if you give me an adult beverage at, uh, the next Nakubo <laughs> conference, I'll give you more information about it. Uh, but, uh, I, I have found that don't hiring is, is, uh, one of the most critical, if not the most critical regular activities we do. Um, and I have found that compromising on hiring decisions will, you will pay a price. Um, short-term or long-term, uh, and uh, that hiring and developing a, a strong team is a slow process, but it's really critical to success. And, and I think over time, uh, we've we've built up a really strong team here, and I'm, I'm really proud of what we're capable of doing. Um, and I think a lot of it is making sure that when we hire, we hire really talented people. Perfect. Well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate you sharing just a few of your insights and experience with our listeners today. You're welcome. It was it was a lot of fun. You can find out more about Dave in today's episode by visiting the education section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Dave and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Mm-hmm.